Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, a Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 70, John in a Dance with Dragons, Chapter 4. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit or the Maester Monthly Podcast, or maybe you know me as Arithmetric on Twitter. Everyone, it's been a while. It's like a simple Since week. Since we did a John chapter, JK, we, 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 it's been like a week. It's been literally a week. We do this every week. <laughs> but we might not be. Yeah. This is a simple week. This is like a homegrown, one-off, John 4, Chloe and Eliana do John. Wait. Wait. You know, I was having a conversation earlier with Four Quentin from the Nauticast, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. If you've ever heard podcast. of them. Podcast. Yes, the boys. Uh, one of the boys, I was having a conversation with PQ about how, like, at the very end, my vision when this podcast is complete is we will have completed for the A Song of Ice and Fire podcast one whole canon. We will. and We did get some tweets and emails of note for this episode. I clearly have to read this aloud. Yeah, you have to. This is a good one. Yeah, so I was really overjoyed when this showed up in the inbox. And I was like, Chloe, we got a great great comment on Podbean. From our friend Craig Mulvey. Chloe, when will your Jon Snow is Katie Heron essay be released? <laughs> I'm from Winterfell with all the little direwolves. Um, yeah. Listen. Uh, on Wednesdays we wear black. Yes. Well, it, That's actually what's going on here. Yeah, basically. It's, uh, it's not coming out, Craig. Just like the rest of my essays. So, oh, damn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A couple of them might. I have one open right be. now. I'm not saying that I've written in it, but it's open. And, you know, making sure that the door is open, that your heart is open to writing the essay, that's the first step. That's the first really, step in song of To writing essays. anything. Uh, speaking of disappointing <laughs> you, uh, we're going to take a break for two weeks uh, our usual last week off, now that we started autumn, will still be happening of A Song of Ice and Fire, but we also are taking a second break week off because of His Dark Materials. We want to finish off the first book right before the show starts on the 4th of November here in the U.S. In the U.K., that's the third for you lucky people. Yeah, we're going to take a week off. We'll be back on November 8th with John. So take a couple weeks off of John fatigue. I know. Yeah, we just wanted to tell you, you know, this was a normal John week. You know, your weekly John episode and then drop this bomb on you. <laughs> hey, it's not the only bomb you're going to get dropped on you in this episode. So we'll talk about that soon, too. Whoa. John's got some some big bombs to get dropped on him as he listens in on some war council. <sighs> it's getting real. It's getting real in John's chapters. And hey, if you are tired of John... Don't fear, because he dies soon. Wow. Like in nine episodes. Eight episodes. Something like that. And then, you know, then there will be another character. We'll see. Maybe. Mm. Unless I get fired. Yeah, we could just give, we could just stop. Yeah. Or I get fired. Yes. But, you know, I come back all the time. I'm always putting in my application again, getting rehired. I'm very <laughs> qualified for this. I don't Maybe know. Maybe you're Maybe overqualified. I'm <laughs> Maybe I'm going to have to let you go, ma'am. <laughs> but before we do that we have a what lightning that round segue? can we talk about that segue <laughs> that was a bad segue I feel like that's uh, that's why I get fired you know because I like terrible at doing these segues this is what you're wearing 
She's wearing a shirt with dogs all over it. <gasps> oh, business in the, during the day. Party attire at night. Uh, Eliana, what did we miss in our lightning round? <laughs> I miss actually a lot of things, turns out. So, who knew that Danny only had two chapters up until this point, right? Like, we're on John 4 already in this book. She's only had two chapters. Insane. Daenerys, too. The Harpies' sons have brought more murder to the streets of Marine, And Daenerys imposes a blood tax on the important families to fund more freedmen. She heeds another warning from Quaith, ignores one from Barristan, and begins to feel suspicious of more traitors in her it's midst. It's a healthy chapter. I'll give it that. You know, like, it may only be her second chapter, but it's a chapter. For sure. Freak one. The Frey boys in Winterfell come upon a new kind of creature in the kennels. Reek, reek. He rhymes with emotionally and physically damaged Theon Greyjoy, who has landed in Ramsay's clutches and must now do his bidding. I miss the Reek chapters. Yo, the Theon Theon was a time. It was. Paralarvae. Paralarvae. Brand two, Bran and Company. Face a white attack at the cave, narrowly escaping and meet an ancient seer connected to a weirwood. The last green seer, the three-eyed crow. Actually, it's Brendan. Did you call him Brandon Company because of how Rachel Handler makes it seem as though Bran has a startup every time in her recaps of Game of Thrones? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But for the sake of, for, for Pete's sake, for Amanda Pete's Ooh. sake, I should have, I should have. Tyrion 4, disallowed from drinking wine. Ooh, bad feeling. Tyrion finds new entertainment, watching Septa Lamore bathe, breaking fast with Ysilla and Yandri, watching Young Griff train, and writing down everything he knows about dragons. Davos 2. Davos arrives in the White Harbor, hiding in a shady tavern to learn more about the Frey slash Manderly alliance before finally heading toward Newcastle to demand to see Wyman Manderly. Daenerys 3. Zaro Zoan Duxos offers Daenerys 13 war galleys. In exchange for her to leave the city and to quit abolishing slavery and ruining his life, she refuses both this and desperate pleas from Lord Gale against Yunkai being attacked and is given a symbol of war, a bloody glove, the day after from Zaro. I know I wrote that, but like, I don't feel like I did. And all those words felt like completely like, who wrote that? <laughs> you wrote that. Jesus. I think I meant for you to read that one. God. Oh, why? There's nothing in here to know. make, to surprise me, you know? <laughs> There's nothing in here to make me be like, Chloe, what the fuck? All of these were real ass things that happened. <laughs> Just like here in John 4. The food stores are running low and John is forced to ration the watch to feed all parties. Rattleshirt and Queensmen taunt John on his way to Council Stannis on the north and he is once more offered Winterfell. Did you hear the quotes around Rattleshirt? I did. I, I should do it again. I should have done it in the same tone. Ed guides John down into the cellar, telling him to avoid the rats. He tells him this little story that his mom and rats both make the same squeals if you step on them. And she may just have been a rat, too. Hmm. It's got some interesting stories, but obviously this is a nod, maybe, to people betraying John, you know, because they all rats in here. But more deeply, 
maybe tying back to the story of the rat cook and betrayal. But hey, also like the liked cheese. I'm definitely <laughs> digging too deep, but it reminds me again of Illyrio, who's also being a little rat-like, you know, with the events that happened in this book with Daenerys and Fagon as we learned that Illyrio had other plans. I mean, we always knew he had other plans, right? But now we really know what the other plans are. Yeah, betrayal might just be a common theme in this book. You know, wow. betrayal by rats. Wow. They use the Wormways, and the Wormways are the series of tunnels that connect the underground at Castle Black. There's this line that really stuck out to me, and I don't know, it could be foreshadowing even. When the winter winds began to blow and the snows began to fall, the tunnels became the quickest way to move about the castle. I never really noticed that line. It's mm -hmm. formed right off of the, the Lone Wolf Dies passage. You know, it's the same, almost Ooh. the same exact rhythm. But it does make sense that maybe even the people that survived the Wall's Fall survived by escaping out of the tunnels. Uh, you might... We might see it. You have to use the tunnels to get to, to the libraries that Sam was down in, so they connect everywhere. Uh, you know there's a ton of gates below the wall in general. The the Black Gate is set in one. There's the idea of Gendel's caves. Yeah, I mean, I, of course, am like... This is one of the tinfoils that I really love, that like the caves go throughout all of Planetos, you know? And I, I really do feel like it's going to be important. So I think that's a really good catch. And I mean, it happens in real life. From my understanding, if I'm remembering correctly, Toronto, right, gets so cold that there's like a system of tunnels underneath that people can use to navigate instead of having to be outdoors. Or maybe like it was just the University of Toronto. I don't remember. Something in Toronto is like this. I, I think hmm. that it's a little interesting that they're called wormways. It reminds me of fireworms. Oh, that's a good thought. I didn't even think of that. And I mean, there's also that whole idea of Gendel's caves, right? Mm -hmm. Well, here they are. Yeah, it's I it, to me they're the same caves, and like same caves. Apparently, what didn't they find some? Maybe I don't know if they found some in King's Landing or not. But I remember browsing long, long ago the Minecraft. Did you see the the Westeros Minecraft yes. map? Yeah, there's like some interesting tunnels that they like put together in there. It's very fun. Mm. But you know it's not fun? Bo and Marsh awaiting John and giving John <laughs> the food inventory. That was a better segue, wasn't it? From three moon turns ago. They've had no pilferage yet, but Marsh tells them, maybe you're going to need to put like guards here. That'll be like the thing, the move this winter. But I'm also like wondering how good can they be? I mean, remember we had that whole guards thing that didn't work so well with, I, th I want to say it was like the free folk women, right? Who were staying at Castle Black. Yeah, and, and in desperate times, it won't matter. Like, if, if a man wants food, he'll get his food. Yeah, there's going to be, like, or die. riots. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely. already stopped John. Who's going to stop them? And we're not going to go too far into it, but we are going to reference it today. I mean, that's what's upcoming. You know, that's what happens in winter. It's the very thing we've been told is going to happen, and then it starts to happen. Mm -hmm. They uh, As they do the inventory, they count the granary, produce, meats, cheeses, moving room to room, and soon their breath clouds the air because they're directly beneath the, the wall, and the cold is preserving meat. They go through the meat room in the heart of the cold, and John takes his gloves off. He touches a haunch of venison, and when he pulls his fingers away, he loses some of his skin. I thought that was kind of a gruesome cold detail. Like, it's that cold. Mm -hmm. 
Marsh finishes his count and announces, well, we're fucked. (laughs) They had enough originally to get through three or four years of winter, but with just their men in Molestown, that was what was accounted for. Now they have Free Folk and Stannis. Yeah, they're like, oh shit, we've got all these people. And like beyond that, I know that we're pinning our hopes on these tunnels right now. I don't think this will happen. I think it's more likely it's what you said, the tunnels are going to be important. But what if the collapse of the wall affects some of those tunnels, right? And they end up losing Mm -hmm. the ability to traverse those to the others, which also means losing some of these food stores. And this whole thing about winter... And food stores. It's not going to go as easy and fast as it did in the HBO hit series award-winning show Game of Thrones. Like, George definitely wants to explore a lot of these questions around resources and scarcity, which is, like, why we're having John actually do this, like, stuff that seems boring but is actually very important. This administrative stuff, which is a big part of being a lord, you know, lord commander, running around the wall and... It's as Sam pointed out way back then, like, John, this is why you were assigned to be a steward, because a lot of lordship is this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's also, uh, I thought that language around it feeling colder than it should has a lot to do with not just, yeah, it's literally cold, but like maybe it, it's a good way of showing the emotions without saying it. It's it's around the fear of the situation. And maybe it even has to do with some of the emotional distance that John feels towards Bowen Marsh. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, especially because last chapter he wanted Bowen Marsh. He said, I'll take your advice, Bowen Marsh. And here he is still making the wrong choices in Bowen Marsh's eyes in front of him, mm-hmm. as we're about to get to. And I-, I do like that, of course, it feels colder than it should. Also being that signal, hey, remember the others? Mm. Yeah, they're coming for you. Mm. It's too late to plant crops in the north, and Marsh predicts they'll be down to turnips and porridge and drinking their horse's blood, Eliana don't listen, challenge, by the end of the year. And if Eamon's words were anything to go by, there would be illness as well. Limes and meat would cure most of them, especially loose teeth, but they ran out of limes a year ago. Marsh advises them to go on winter rations. John knows they'll complain, but he says they'll cut each man's portion by a quarter. Now I understand why King Stannis let the wildlings through the wall. He means for us to eat them. John had to smile. It will not come to that. Oh, good, said Ed. They look a stringy lot, and my teeth are not as sharp as when I was younger. This, I think, heralds back to what we were saying, right? Earlier about Dolor's Ed replacing his teeth with... Dragon glass? I mean, that's what's being confirmed here, right? Oh my god, that's the theory. No, <laughs> that's but, the theory. But there is a joke here, right? The joke is, of course, here that later there are four peasberries that are indulging themselves in human flesh in the sacrifice. And the bigger joke is their sigil is a peapod. <laughs> I thought that was like the best joke of it all. But it really does harken back to a couple things. Stannis's siege of Storm's End. And just to throw this out, Another person who's had to eat horse blood or drink horse blood is Danny. Not quite the same terms, but... Yep, she had a whole heart. And I mean, that seemed really difficult. She ate a whole ass heart. Like, that's a lot. And yeah. also, I think a lot of the other Dothraki are probably used to this too. Mm-hmm. There's also, I, I think there's definitely what you're talking about with Stannis and the Siege of Storm's End and the cannibalism. That's definitely something that's at play. Yeah. 
it's going to happen. Marsh says, had they the coin, they could also ship some food in from the south. And John thinks we would need both coin and someone who is willing to sell to us. He's like, well, the Erie would probably be our best hope. They're untouched from the war and it's some fertile land. But he's also like, eh, I don't know how Liza's going to feel about wanting to feed Ned's bastard. Spoiler, it's not a spoiler. Liza doesn't feel anything right now. But she's dead. Uh, <laughs> ooh, look what you made. Okay, anyways, and her sister being Catelyn, John remembers this memory and is like, maybe Liza doesn't want doesn't to feed me. <laughs> As a boy, he often felt as if the lady grudged him every bite. So I thought that this heralding to the Eerie could be maybe significant because obviously things are going to go once more way different in the books for some things than they do in the show. Like maybe there's still a plot, right? Of Sansa saving Winterfell or the Night's Watch, but I think it would have less to do with this convoluted plot idea of her not telling John about any of the plans regarding the Vale army coming up in order to retake Winterfell, because this is a plot that, as many have discussed, likely goes to Stannis with the Battle of Ice and has to do with him. And maybe Sansa's plot with all of that has more to do with bringing stores of food because we know from the Feast chapters, and I think we touched on this a little back then, that Littlefinger is secretly stockpiling, or maybe not so secretly, depending on who you are and what you think about it, I don't know, food and buying it off of people, which could prove to end up being a really good store. It's not great for, I guess, the rest of the Vale or the Eerie, who knows, but, and it's not enough to feed a whole kingdom. But this is something that could come to play and also harkens back to some lessons that Sansa might have learned from other players of the Game of Thrones, like how the Tyrells were well-loved by the small folk and are seen as being a place with a lot of food. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that really stuck out to me, that the Vale definitely still has that food. However, with what you're saying, Littlefinger is depriving them. He's pulling supply and demand on them, right? He's making the cost super high, but he's right now buying everything off of these houses that would do anything for some money. They aren't thinking about how harsh this winter could really be. And Littlefinger, of course, knows that this might be an interesting winter ahead of them. And lots is happening. And he buys all that up. So with all that withholding, I mean, if Sansa is the one that's making the big money moves, taking them home, she can command that be given to this cause. I mean, and yeah. Especially with all of the fertility symbolism and the mother symbolism with Sansa, you know, the whole make them love me. It's a, it's a pretty big move. I think it's something we will see. Throws into that good Queen Sansa. Yeah. I think it just makes more sense than what they gave her in the show. Like, I, that doesn't make no, not at all. as much sense to me. Not at all. It sucks because in season seven and eight, she started to make sense. But, like, the season yeah. six, like, to get there, season five and six to get there... And four even was just a mess. Yeah, I'm. I'm also not even sure that like since we are on John chapters, I, there's a poetry, of course, to him facing off against Ramsay. I'm not sure that we get something that neat in the. Books, I mean, it has to be done by the first quarter. Yeah, like like as people said, it's probably Stannis. So yeah, I could see it going either way. I could see Stannis also losing, which would be a True. big shock and horribleness, and he would retreat and burn Shireen. Uh, but that makes sense to yeah, me too. Yeah, but yeah. I think he has to win. I think something that uh, me and 
poor Quentin have been talking about is that he has to hit that victory, that sweet, sweet victory, just like we're going to see Doran hit that victory finally, right? And we have to see that sweet, sweet victory for him just for it all to fall away and for the Northerners to say, no, we don't actually want you. Yeah, that makes sense for his storyline. And John mm-hmm. ends up being deprived the sort of vengeance that he wanted against the Boltons, yeah. right? He doesn't get to enact it necessarily. And he comes back different and harder. Or not harder. Yeah. Maybe harder, faster, stronger. The groundskeeper whittle stick. Um, so the groundskeeper <laughs> whittle stick. I can't believe this is his real last name. So I'm, I'm guessing it's not because any words are made up. But I really hope his parents like, you know, his mother birthed him, held him and was like, this is my son Whittlestick. <laughs> Because he has a whittle stick right now. Oh my god. So he says they can hunt, but Marsh objects. There are wildlings and darker things in the wood. John knows Marsh wouldn't. He would close the gates and seal them, stone and ice if he could. And half of the wall agrees with Marsh. Seal all gates and plant your fat black horses on the wall. Ay, and the free folk will come swarming o'er the bridge of skulls or through some gate you thought you'd sealed 500 years ago. The old forester, Dywin, had declared loudly over supper, two nights past, We don't have the men to watch a hundred leagues of wall. Tormund giants butt, <laughs> and the bloody weeper know it too. Ever see a duck frozen in a pond with his feet in the ice? It works the same for crows. Finally, some wisdom. I kind of like calling him Tormund giants butt. Tormund giants butt is a good one. Everybody like loves that Tormund giants babe. But I think this might be better. Yeah, this one's way better. This is a rain. But I also love butt jokes, so. Yeah, me too. The rangers all back Dwyan on this, uh, but the stewards and builders side with Bowen Marsh. It, that's really interesting. I'm noticing a lot of division in the ranks, and I, I'm noticing that with like Queensmen and Kingsmen, especially at the wall. And Celise really kind of brings that presence, especially in this. This upcoming bit here, she brings that presence when we see her of, you know, she's from House Florence. She might be, you know, described in the text as a mustachioed old crone, but that's not really what she looks like. You know, I'm sure it's exaggerated. And hair is natural, so you do you, mm-hmm. Celise, but also you suck. Uh, she's just a very dry woman that we see of her. So I have been subscribed to and am really behind on the A Clash of Kings comic book issues, and mm. they actually drew Drew and Celise's mustache a little. That is great. Yeah. I was like, oh. Huh. They they really they really kept that detail in. I mean, it's so funny that that's the thing, you know, like that's the thing they get her for. Like really not the Florent ears, I mean. Make fun hmm. of those. I mean because they maybe they all have Florent ears, so they're like, whatever. But it's like everyone's hairy. In this time. That's true. This made up fantasy yeah. time. Like, and what you know, was she going to do? Maybe it's going to be better for her with winter coming, you know? Celise is going to be warm. What the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Die. <laughs> the Florence are also, like, not ugly, like, just bumping ugly, like, ugly people, like, that just live somewhere that somehow married Stannis. It isn't some joke. Like, the Florence 
are kind of a good match for Stannis. They're an ambitious family in the Reach, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm guessing John Aaron made the marriage and probably to put that like check into place in case the Tyrells tried to rise up ever. Like, oh, we mm-hmm. have we have a lord, we have lords that could take your spot. We don't need you. Um, but it's not like Solis is a bad match. I find some of that writing interesting. She's not like a bad match. I don't know. I guess a high tower would have been a better match, but Liness was you know off. Well, there's Melora. Yeah. That would have been an interesting match, actually. Stannis and Melora. Who, um, and Melisandre. Is that a threesome? I think so. I think they would have all... At the very least, Melora and Melisandre would have gotten along. They probably... And Stannis would have just been there being like, not again. Yeah. Is this... Is this a... Is this a... I don't know. Is this an OT3? Is this... Yep. Pretty much. But John right now has to face the facts. That they can't leave the Baratheons to starve, even though they're eating all of their food. <coughs> because the Baratheons could just also slaughter the Night's Watch. But they also can't starve the wildlings, because that's terrible too. And also, John still hasn't explained to everyone when the people die, they come back as whites, and no one seems to really get this. And Marsh asks then, like, well, what the fuck are we gonna do? And John says... They'll find a way. Love always finds a way. Oh my God. John heads up, finally, to the air and the light, and he comes across Devin Seaworth, Stannis' squire. Oh my God, he's such a good boy. He's 12, and he has brown hair and brown eyes, and Ghost is sniffing him. He's frozen in fear, and John's like, Ghost, stop. Like, Ghost won't hurt you. But Devin flinches, and Ghost bears his teeth, and John commands Ghost away, and Ghost trots off, and Devin is saved. And... This is really reminiscent of Gilly, almost, when she's first introduced. Hmm. Scared, brown hair, big doe eyes, and then now look how ferocious she is. But Devin is cloaked, of course, in Baratheon gold and black with the Queen's Men patch upon him. Not really Gilly-esque. I would love to see a De- a Devin character arc. Yeah. I, w- I want to see Devin grow up. I think I would love to see one of Davos's sons, at least, grow up. Like, that man has lost so much give him a good family life even though he hasn't been home and who knows how long just one yeah my favorite Devin moment though is still like in the melisandre chapter when we find out like what after four pages of talking about blood and fire like oh Devin, you were here the whole time amazing (laughs) (laughs) oh and say the darndest things you know (laughs) except he doesn't say anything he's just chilling there yep yep Devin tells John that his grace commands his presence and that Sir Richard and Justin had returned from riding the incorrect way. As you'll remember, they were the wrong way rangers as John and other folks talked to them. And John is stripped of his weaponry as he enters Stannis' presence. Very based Dothrak. This is so good. So interesting that every time Stannis is just like, yep, remove your weapons. Like, that's his whole policy because john is like this is so silly but john dies from his men wielding knives later not that Mm. he could have been protected but john thinks this is a silly practice yet yeah i mean to be honest since it's stannis he would be better off just saying everyone leave your shadow outside (laughs) considering that knives i mean stannis killed someone not using a knife you know right it's also kind of reminiscent to Ares, right? Mm. And if Danny is to Stanny, well. 
why don't we call him Stan anymore? I know. It's a cute little name, ain't it? It is. It really is. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's part of it. What? Heavy lies the crown and also... More dragon than man. More fire well, I, than man. Stannis isn't wrong. Like, as you said, there's John ends up getting stabbed by everyone. And then, of course, there's the Red Budding. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of things that have happened recently for Stannis to be like... Mm, Trust no bitch. What if I didn't trust a lot of the people around here? Especially the guy who doesn't really want me here because I'm eating all of his food. I don't know. The guy with a Valyrian steel sword, because mine's a fake. Yeah. Even though deep down, like, Stannis wants to adopt John, whatever. Or be him. We don't know. Time travel. It's a little of both. It's a little <laughs> both. So the solar in the King's Tower is hot and crowded, and there's a whole entire group there. Stannis and all his captains, uh, Sigorn, the Magnar of Then, Richard, Justin, Rattleshirt, all of them are there. Rattleshirt? Rattleshirt. Rattleshirt is being his usual Rattleshirt. self, or is he? Is he? There's a red ruby on his iron cuffs, which is a little suspect. Uh, he mocks John, saying, Here he comes, the brave boy who slew Mance Raider. When he was caged and bound. Do you like my ruby snow? A token of love from Lady Red. So since this is a reread, and we know that this is, quote, Rattleshirt, unquote. It's Rattleshirt? Mance. This is like such a sassy, coded message to John, And it's so funny because John didn't get it. And like when you get the actual chapter, the reveal, you're like, oh. Duh. Like. The red ruby. This is this is a token of love from Lady Red. Like what? Why else would suddenly Rattleshirt climb the ranks? Yeah. Why else would Rattleshirt be like, look at my other bling? He doesn't care about the jewels. He's like, look at my cool bones. Or uh, of course his his the brave boy who slew Mance Raider. Very pointed. Like John thinks it's mocking, but. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, that it is kind of admiration. He's like, that was a really nice thing you did. Yeah, John killed for it. For me? And it's well, not the like, first person who's asked, so. Yeah, as opposed to like the slow, agonizing death of dying by fire, yeah. John is uh, pretty good at this by now. Yeah, acquiring dads. And killing yep. them, yeah. Yeah. Putting them out oh, of their damn. misery, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. John thought he was killing Mance. So Stannis then offers introductions, but John knows the captains. They're all queensmen. And John notices that there are no kingsmen around Stannis, that allegedly they all incurred his ire, and so he left them all back on Dragonstone. I mean, part of it is because we know that he sent his best man, Davos, away to go do the things. We just, like, quickly went over that in the lightning round. But quite frankly, Stannis surrounded by queensmen is just a very, like, normal Baratheon thing for him. If you yes. think about it, because Ned notes the exact same thing happening to Robert in book one. Obviously, it's book one because that's when they're both alive. Whatever. Robert's court has been infiltrated by Lannister toadies. We have one here at the wall right now. Down to, like, his squire, who at that time is um Lancel. And at least, like, Stannis has Devin, who is not necessarily a queensman. Even though later on we kind of find out, nah, I don't know. Maybe Devin's more loyal to Melisandre than he's to Stannis. But, again, this is just, like, a normal Baratheon thing to happen, because Renly was the same, now that 
I think about it, like, he was surrounded by Tyrells, which it could be argued that those are Queensmen because of Marjorie, even though we all know, like, Renly was actually in a relationship with Loras and whatever. Basically his in-laws in general, same as Stannis and Robert. Yeah, that's a really good point. When I was so excited. That's I didn't think about that at all, of how, like, that's exactly Robert. When you open the story, that's where mm-hmm. Robert is poisoned by all these men. And it's also obvious that these aren't Stannis's type of men. Like, they're Godry Faring is a dick. He's outspoken and a dick. And he's just, like, super Gaston. You know, like, we get it, macho yeah. men. And Stannis is like, why isn't everyone listening to me do my opera? You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, <laughs> he's like, everybody meet in the Great Hall at 10 p.m. for my one-man performance of Phantom of the Opera. And then he's standing there in his all-black tuxedo with a mask on his face and nobody shows up. And he's like, how could they betray oh. me? Yeah. Um, that's so sad. I know, but that's who Stannis is. And then he looks out of a window for like five hours. And obviously Stannis is not an extrovert. He's not a, uh, he's not really a, an outgoing, friendly guy, right? That's not his persona. So these guys he has surrounded him, I mean, Justin Massey is kind of smarmy, right? Yeah. I mean, Which is why Theon doesn't like him, but why Asha does. But why Eliana does. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that the two Greyjoys see him differently. Yeah. But, I mean, even though Stannis is an introvert and that's, like, part of why he ends up getting, like, overshown by all these mm-hmm. other queensmen. I mean, both Renly and Robert were quite extroverted, but they were still surrounded by people more loyal to their in-laws than to them. Robert obviously was because he didn't care and was just like, I don't know, they were trying to kill him. And Renly, it seems like Tyrells are trying to use him. Yeah. Well, and you see so. the different reasons of why that goes on for so long, right? Like Robert lets it go on because he just doesn't care anymore because of Acedia. Mm-hmm. Robert has given up. Renly lets it go on because he has fake power, right? Power lies where men mm-hmm. believe it resides. And for Renly, if he dishes that, well, that's who is propping up Renly's regime. And as we know, they can turn the tides. The Tyrells can turn the tides of power. Yeah. Uh, they bring the harvest. They bring the men, the power of the reach. That's a very powerful place in the South. We see what happens when you don't have it as well with Stannis. Yeah, and I mean, for Stannis, he's trying to go for a different kind of power, right? Like, magical power, and rather than the power of food, it's another another version of that question. He's using the power of their faith Mm -hmm. in R'hllor. But for now, Stannis offers Jon some wine or water boiled with lemons, and then tells him that he has a gift for him. I just want to call back to a moment ago when Bowen Marsh was saying, we're out of fucking food. Also, we need citrus fruits, basically. He, I don't know if he says citrus, but like limes and meat because everyone's going to get scurvy and we don't have vitamin C. But here's Stannis just giving out fucking lemon water to anyone who shows up. Like, this is a spa. And I think that this is an intentional writing choice. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a club that Stannis is heading up here that he has the food. The power, and he might not really have the food, obviously, as we see it's going to go, but he's eating like a rock star, for sure, still. Yeah, we gotta save those lemons, Stannis. Yeah. So, the gift that Stannis has for John is Rattle Shirt. That's the gift. Rattle and, Shirt? Yep, Rattle Shirt. Rattle Shirt. John's like, 
okay. And Stannis is all, you want men? Here is your men. And Melisandre's grinning. There's a total inside joke going on that I just can't figure out. John can't either. And he's like, there's no way anyone's going to trust him. Someone will slit his throat on the wall. He'll go back to the wildlings if we send him ranging. He's useless. But Rattleshirt says, no way. I'm done with the free folk. And says, ask your red witch and taps his ruby. And John still doesn't get it. And neither did we on our first read. His ruby pulses, her ruby pulses. And Melisandre is like, so long as he's bound to me, he'll have to serve you faithfully. The flames do not lie, John. Okay, this is a question that I have. Is he actually bound to Melisandre wearing the ruby? Like, is this like a thing? Like, is Melisandre, was Melisandre bound? Is this how that magic works? Or is he bound because, I don't know, Melisandre maybe threatened his son or, you know, not wanting his child to burn or because he feels bound in order to keep this cover to survive? I think a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I didn't really think of it other than, you know, shadow binding sorcery. Mm. Like binding. Shadow binding is a thing. Yep. That's, yeah, that's what I thought, allegedly. but putting the baby on in sense. there, let's just throw the kid on in the mix, you know, stir it around in the cauldron. Yeah. I, uh, I could see some of that too. I'm going to, I'm going to take like 30% that. <laughs> uh, I'll arrange for you, bastard, Rattleshirt declared. I'll give you sage counsel or sing you pretty songs mm. as you prefer. I'll even fight for you. Just don't ask me to wear your cloak. You are not worthy of one, John thought, but he held his tongue. Mm. John has all these comebacks inside of him. So pointed, so very pointed. Here he is, like, busy, his blood boiling, like, how dare you disrespect being a human? Rattleshirt. But it's like Rattleshirt is screaming at the camera, I'm Mance. And... He does say bastard really often, I noticed, in his mean, angry John speak here, which also calls back, obviously, to when John really hammered home, oh, I'm a bastard, and that's why my life sucks, and that's why I'm turning cloak. Mm. But it also makes me think, I guess it could be Mance that writes the pink letter, because I change on this, like, every other day, obviously. I still think it's Ramsey, but it could be Mance, even, if it was a coded letter. I feel exactly the same as you. I don't know that it's a coded letter or not, but I do kind of like the idea of it being Mance because there is some motivation there, right? It's not just chaos for the sake of it. Again, there's like his son's life is at stake. Yeah. Uh, that just don't ask me to wear your cloak though. Coming back to that is is pretty fucking perfect as a line from Mance. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely perfect. It's again, John, come on. It's just like when uh, in the Elaine or sorry, the Sansa chapters, when George tells us to look closer at Oswald Kettleblack. Am I right? And for more of that, you can check out A Song of Ice and Fire, Forgotten Characters, Coming Back in the Wind's Winter, where I talk about the Kettleblacks and their extensive history as a leading house in Westeros. Oh, man. Where's this episode went? <laughs> Stannis tells John to give him everything that he knows on Moore's Umber. This is part of the the Mean Girls gossip part, right? Right, right. 
<laughs> He's like, I heard he does glasses commercials in the north. Um, John thinks, though, to himself that the Night's Watch takes no part. But then the other part of him thinks words are not swords. He tells him Umber is the elder of the great John's uncles and a crow once thought he was dead and pecked his eye out, which is where he gets crow food from, nickname wise. He was a fearsome fighter in his younger age and he lost his sons on the trident and his wife in childbed. His only daughter was carried off by free folk 30 years past. Shout out to Crow Food's daughter, Amanda, who we've had on in the past. Uh, that is, this is where her namesake hails from. Also, this is like a blatant northern Euron parallel. Oh. A crow took his eye, his sight from him. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Vicious and, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, maybe, you know how we were talking about, and we also brought this up in the Forgotten Characters episode, daughters who have been carried off and maybe descendants from them or them, I guess this is recent enough that it could be them themselves coming out of nowhere later on claiming houses. We were talking about that in terms yeah. of House Aaron. So what if, you know, with all of the free folk crossing the wall, right? She comes back. Hmm. And that could also she tie could. in. We'll uh, we'll Inherit. look later, obviously, but we'll, we'll chat about this coming up. But that could also tie in with some more themes coming up in John's a Dance with Dragons art, right? Uh, about the women taking back their homes. Mm-hmm. We saw it a lot during the dance, right? Because a lot of the men had died off. And by this, I mean... The Dance Civil War, not the book that we are in, mm -hmm. Adoada. Yeah. Uh, look at the Riverlands. The Riverlands, a lot of the yeah. lords ended up displaced and moving there. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter. Stannis asks, can we trust Crowfood Umber? And John thinks... Stannis asks, can Crowfood Umber be trusted? And John wonders if he's bent the knee. John suggests, well, you could have, I guess, more swear an oath under the weirwood. And then, for some reason, the Queen's men decide, yeah, let's mock the old gods. What dicks, dude? It's pretty fucking rude. You don't just go around, like, making fun of people's religions like that. It kind of, like, I don't know, it, it, it's a little culty, right? It's kind of like when CrossFit got really big. And everyone was just like, oof, I do CrossFit now. I do CrossFit now. But it became like, that's like what they're doing. They're like, oh, we do R'hllor now. We do R'hllor now. Oh my gosh. That's what it feels like. Right. Is R'hllor Scientology? It could be. Maybe like the more, you know, you make fun of other religions or doctrines, what, do you move up a level? God, well, it's just like, I'm just like, it's the big fad. <laughs> Yeah, all the cool kids are doing it. And it requires blood sacrifice Katie to Heron. operate. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is that part of the plot of how John gets converted, you know? Yeah, that's right? that's the mean girl's plot, right? As John becomes a plastic when he's resurrected. Mm -mm. No. I'm writing this essay for you, apparently. So John finally just overcomes a those men speaking about the old gods, he ignores them. And he asks Stannis, <laughs> okay, have the Umbers declared for you? And Stannis says, half of them have, and only if I meet Crowfood's price. Mance Raider's skull for a drinking cup and a pardon for his brother, Horsbane, who's riding for Bolton right now. Godfrey Faring then makes fun of Horsbane, and he's like, did he bite the head off a sex worker? 
Assholes. Truly, Sir Clayton sucks and Godry farting. Oh my god. This is who they are for me in my head. John Cooley tells him that he kind of did actually when he tried to rob him in Old Town. Odd as it might seem, old Horfrost Umber had once believed his youngest son had the makings of a maester. Moors loved to boast about the crow who took his eye, but Hother's tale was only told in whispers, most like because the whore he disemboweled had been a man. Yep, I just thought it was an interesting story. It is an interesting story. John asks who else has declared for Bolton, and Melisandre gives what she's seen. A town with wooden walls and streets with banners above. A moose, a battle axe, three pine trees, long axes beneath a crown, a horse with fiery eyes. Hornwood, Sirwin, Tallheart, Riswell, and Dustin. She is, of course, seeing those who are gathered for Bolton. Clayton Suggs names them traitors. Sucks. He names them (sighs) traitors and Lannister lapdogs, but John argues against it. He says, Riswell and Dustin are allied by marriage, and the rest of the people have no lords lost in the fight. And we all know John doesn't really care deep down at all about the North, right? That's not what he what he cares about, even though he's justifying them following the Boltons because they had no Stark to guide them. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. But, of course John doesn't care. Who would care? About the North, right? Yeah, the choosing has always been hard. <laughs> and also, crow food, a lapdog, get real. Yeah, no, definitely not. The Umbers do their own, they're their own thing. Yeah. Stannis comments that the Umbers made it clear Umber will not fight Umber, though. And John says, well, if it comes to that, just keep them apart in battle. <laughs> and then Giant Slayer... Ugh, Sir Godry farting. Counters that they should burn Last Hearth and Mount Crowfoot's head into battle to teach them a lesson. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Which I wonder if this is something that has to do with, as you'll all remember, there is an excerpt from an Asha chapter, and by that I mean we really, really, really zoomed in <laughs> on George at his computer, and that was, like, my day. In fucking ad-libbed it until it made sense it worked all right no it does we definitely it it was real like this is it it might have been edited since then since you know it was still on his computer in wordstar oh my god all right wordstar wordstar (sighs) yeah and now that you say that i think this has to uh tie in so john is like that would be a great idea if you want them all to hate you idiot and they argue back and forth about secession in last hearth and john roasts his cowardice a few times before justin massey pipes it and tells godry to cool it finally stannis interrupts and he's like girls girls uh and he asks for john to attend him yep yeah how can you not appreciate justin massey in this moment he's good he's good i I appreciate it but i mean like you shouldn't have to appreciate someone acting normal (laughs) <laughs> it's true. He's, he's, it's just more of like the bar is so low among the people Stannis keeps around himself. No, yeah, like, I get it. Davos get is it. so high. Like no one can like reach that. Even even amongst a bunch of the other people and all the other groups, right? Yeah, it's just Justin Massey's cool. It's just he's doing absolutely the least. He is, but it's more than everyone else around Stannis. I love how jolly he is, though. Like later on, is he jolly? I mean, like when they take Asha, even. 
I guess. I kind of think of him as a... Uh, he reminds me of, like, the swoopy emo hair boy thing. I feel like he's really, like, smarmy and cheerful, but, like, huh. also sly. Interesting. We have different ideas of Justin Massey. Well, we're going to explore this more. Yeah. I think I find him amusing, but I find that he could potentially be a more annoying person than... Mm-hmm. Well, he's definitely annoying. Oh. That's part of why Hosha likes him, maybe. <laughs> Stannis says that he cannot wait longer for the free folk to descend on them, and that he has to deal with other foes. And John begins to preach that, well, I'm sorry, the watch can't help you. Uh, you have to. And Stannis is like, all right, spare me the vow speech. I've heard it like twenty times <laughs> tonight. <All> right? <laughs> yeah, right. And tells him, I hope to march against the Dreadfort. This surprises John, and then gasp. What? No way. Stannis. Stina smiles. This is a big moment. I don't think he's done this. When we had Scat on, you were like, whoa, Stannis just smiled. And Scat was like, two out of the three times that Stannis smiles in this whole story are with John. And I'm like, wow. So this is the second. This must be, yeah. <laughs> John is very surprised, and Stannis is happy about that because he thinks if I can surprise one bastard, one snow, because they're similar at all, it might surprise another snow. Because that's how it works. Just so you Truly. know. Truly. Traits yeah. are passed down through your common bastard name. <laughs> Words are they're a all construct. The same. Like, they're just a social construct. Uh, while Ramsay is busy receiving his father at the neck, you know, that sounds dirtier than I wanted it to be, he plans oh. to take the Dreadfort and its harvest unawares, but John interrupts Stannis and says, no, you're not going to do that. You'd have to go down the King's Road, past Last River, turn south by east, and cross the Lonely Hills, and go through Umberlands, where Moors will cut them to pieces, unless Stannis wins against Moors and brings him to his cause. If he does that, then they'll hit the Dreadfort, but they have to travel faster than ravens or beacon fires, because otherwise they'll be sieging the Dreadfort. Stannis thinks they'll be fine. Ramsay and Bruce will be busy in the neck, but John says Moat Caitlin is going to fall before Stannis can even get to the Dreadfort, and then their men will outnumber him five to one. Yikes. Yikes. That's not really a good, uh, good odds. They're not great odds, but also, I mean, Stannis just gave, like, his plan away, which means it was going to fail. Yeah, so good true. thing John's telling him here, like, that's a bad idea, because you already told me, and now the whole audience knows, and now I know it's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. There's this imagery in this scene of wax falling onto the map at the Bay of Seals, and it, this feels like something that could be maybe foreshadowing, like the Bay of Seals is where Skagos is. Mm. I don't know if it means anything. Yeah. There's potential. It's got to be something about Davos. Maybe, yeah. So, Justin Massey doubts that Moat Kaelin will fall quickly, because the Iron Men being doughty fighters, and that it's never been taken before... And John's like, from the south, but from the north, it's different. Seamus is like, well, those ruins are vulnerable from the north and the east. And then John thinks, The watch takes no part. Baratheon or Bolton should be the same to me. I mean, I don't blame him for it being different. They're pretty different. <laughs> yeah, they are different. I mean... Even within their family, they're pretty different. Yeah. But it's it turns it's out having not. the same last name. Yeah, it's not the same though. It's not the same. 
he is fucking up though. He he is fucking up here because he he is literally in one hand saying, I should not help Stannis, and then in the other hand he's like, What if I did though? And it makes sense. He's giving him all his northern knowledge because John can't use it. He can't use that knowledge. And he thinks there's a chance Stannis could bring some justice into this world that's been taken from everyone, even if he isn't perfect. I think that's the most appealing part of Stannis to me or anyone, right? He brings justice, but he also brings justice. That's that's the thing, right? <laughs> and you can see for every character in the story, he's a means to an end to escape a current position, but he's not their first choice and not their last either. Right, their first choice was Robert, who offered mercy. Yeah. With all this talk, and all the knowledge that John is giving Stannis, we see that John is, in fact, kind of like Rob here. He's good at strategy. He's good at military strategy, because he like lays it all out for Stannis of why it's not going to work. And John is right, and the book argues that John was right in everything that he tells Stannis and shows that he has a good mind for this because, yeah, Moat Kaelin does fall quickly because before we did the John chapters, we all did the Theon and Reek chapters and we saw that happen. So he knows, all right? It falls through treachery rather than through battle as John thinks it could. But turns out, just like Rob, John is not so great at politics, which is why he's fucking up here. But also, you know, the whole the whole end of the book goes the way it does. Interesting. I didn't think really about that. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely weak on the politics. I think we know that, obviously. Yeah. He tells Stannis that if Roos catches them, it'll be the end for them all. Richard Horp says, well, risk is part of war, though. Every battle is a gamble, Snow. The man who does nothing also takes a risk. Fight every battle in your mind. In your mind. Corp doesn't say that. That's literally what I felt, yes. Fight every battle. I do like this line, though. It reminds me of Eddard Stark. It reminds me of Doran Martell, even. Wait for it mm. from Hamilton comes to mind. You wouldn't understand that. Uh, no, but no one. you didn't understand my sound of music. <laughs> just now, so. Exactly. So we're good. I was in the sound of music also. So I should have. Were you? Yeah, I was. I was Liesl. Oh um, <laughs> I'm learning so much about you all the time. But John is doing nothing instead of something, right? He doesn't get to choose. He keeps not getting to choose, not having the choice. But when that final chance to choose comes, what does he choose? Will this line haunt him throughout the rest of the books when he comes back to life, you think? The man who does nothing also takes a risk. Hmm. I, I think it could. Like, as you said, it, it's reminiscent of Doran Martell and his inaction. That must be more than one man's honor. The man who does nothing also takes a risk. Yeah. What will you choose, John? I could see Richard Horps line coming back to haunt him i think there's something interesting about richard horp and his sigil being what three moths mm -hmm. drawn to what the flame of melisandre and I love that. and then yeah. i don't know could be drawn to john when he comes back from the dead and they're like well maybe we chose this guy because he's been resurrected who knows yeah there, there's no way that john coming back to life helps stannis in any way shape or form like mm, your sword isn't even warm stannis John coming back from the dead is basically the 
Katie Heron feeding Regina George those bars. God. <laughs> Thank you, Craig Mulvey, for the suggestion as I steal Chloe's essay. How to end a podcast by Craig Mulvey. <laughs> John worries that they're taking all this stuff too lightly and then tells them about Harlan Stark's siege centuries ago and how it took him two years to starve them out. And Sienna says, well, Karstark wrote me that 50 men are left at the Dread Fort and half of them are servants and the Karstarks are totally going to join at the Dread Fort and they have free folk as well. 300 fighting men. Stannis means to arm the free folk and then John realizes that arming them means arming them with the Night's Watch's weaponry. Every single day, Stannis just takes more and more. If you give a stag a cookie... Yeah. He's going to burn it. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat cookies. Also, John here, like, on one hand, as you said, he's like, I don't want to support Stannis, but again, he's totally like, I do, but only to an extent, not with any actual action. And if John doesn't offer counsel, I almost wonder, does Stannis still take all this stuff? <laughs> and then John feeling that he has to acquiesce to Stannis, well, I- again, it comes back to Varys' riddle. This time, though, with swords being swords, kind of hanging over the Night's Watch. I mean, this is the price it is to stand at that table and be in that war council. Like, John is a part of this war, whether or not he thinks that it counts. Yeah. Doing nothing is also a risk. Yeah. Oh, that was a great catch in this chapter. Thanks. John reluctantly offers 300 spears and some old rusted helms. The Magnar asks about armor, but John says, no, there's no armorer because Noi is dead. We have nothing. You can't have armor. He also leaves out the thought that plate and mail would make the free folk more of a threat to the realm. So he's balancing all these things. And he it's interesting because he kind of like is acting like by protecting the realm from the free folk. It's OK that he's letting Stannis do what he's doing. Like it's a trade off. Like, I have to balance it. I, I Stannis can have mm. a tiny bit of this. Yeah. The free folk can have this, but they still have to do this. Yeah. I don't know. Godry says that they're going to loot the dead anyways, though. <laughs> Great. John convinces Stannis, you know what? Just leave the free folk here. It's fine. And besides, the Umbers aren't going to like the free folk, considering, you know, they stole Crowfood's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's just going to turn the Bannermen against you. Stannis is like, well, they're never going to even like me at this rate. No shit. He sends his men away, and he's like, John, you get to stay. I'm going to tell you about my personal problems. Everyone else follows each other out, and happy that this bastard boy commander is staying in Rattleshirt is the last out, giving John a mocking bow through broken teeth. And uh, truly, Mance is just getting off on this so much. Such bard vibes here. Bard oh illusion gosh. magic is fun. Oh my god. Everyone. Oh my god. And you play Dungeons & Dragons. Melisandre is left behind, and Devin is serving them. Stannis drinks his lemon water and he tells John the Queen's men all aspire to own Winterfell. Okay, um, that's a downgrade. Even, not from Ramsay, but I mean, in life. Uh, Massey wants the seat and Val. And Horp would take Val as long as he has battle and glory. The wording here is so uncomfortable to me, like in the context of earlier with Ed saying that, oh... 
these people are here because we're going to eat them and raising that specter of cannibalism, which is absolutely, again, going to come to the forefront of the story in the winds of winter when all the food stores start running out, which we've been discussing throughout this chapter. But the line says, Massey wants the wildling princess too. He once served my brother Robert as squire and acquired his taste for female flesh. Ooh, I didn't think of it this way. I think that there's something kind of uncanny, maybe thematically going on here. Maybe George is trying to link these ideas of mm-hmm. what sex and and the literal consumption of flesh. And I mean, we're about to see that with Melisandre at some point, and Shireen and Stannis, I'm sure. Yeah, the consumption of flesh with fire. Mm, yes, fire consumes. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, mm. it's definitely playing around, and these chapters all have this kind of dark edge to it now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely creepy. Another thing that I thought was interesting is that Horp would have been a Kingsguard had Cersei not spoken out against it. Yeah. Is Horp gunning for that position? Like, he's like, maybe if, like, Stannis is king, I can finally get that job I wanted. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's thinking of a different job even now. Uh, But I just thought that- What, Lord of Winterfell? Yeah, right. Exactly. I, but it sounds like he doesn't want that, right? Didn't he just say he just wants battle and glory and what to have yeah, a pretty wife? I guess. I yeah, he, he'd be. F- it was funny because it was phrased like Val's just secondary to him. He's like, yeah, that that <laughs> works. Uh, Stannis asks John who he wants as Winterfell: the Smiler or the Slayer. Winterfell belongs to my sister Sansa. Damn straight, it does. I have heard all I need to hear of Lady Lannister and her claim. The king set the cup aside. You could bring the north to me. Your father's bannerman would rally to the son of Edward Stark, even lord too fat to sit a horse. White Harbor would give me a ready source of supply and a secure base to which I could retreat at need. It is not too late to amend your folly, Snow. Take a knee and swear that bastard sword to me, and rise as John Stark, Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. How many times will he make me say it? My sword is sworn to the Night's Watch. I love the setup here that he just a little bit ago was explaining how the North was different, that the Umbers would follow secession, that their children of the Lord's body would inherit before uncles, and then, of course, you get the line that Winterfell is Sansa's. When Alice Karstark shows up at the Wall, he saves her claim as well, right? Uh, we're mm. very much so focusing on Arya in a lot of these chapters when it comes to John, But he is thinking on Sansa a lot, whether or not we've shown it. When he gets the pink letter, yes, it's directly regarding Arya. But he thinks of Sansa, too, brushing out Lady's coat. This is definitely a home. Um, he wants to exact what little justice he can in the North for these girls that resemble his sisters with their claims and their lives stripped away mm-hmm. from them too fast and too young. And it's what we want to right? Uh, obviously this is what we want. We want justice for these girls. When you put it into terms of him being an upper management at the wall though, it changes the way he goes about it being okay. And I guess that's something we could say about Daenerys as well, right? And her choices I suppose that we want those things too, but their positions change when with what they should be doing and what vows they've undertaken. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point in the way that John has been looking at the way 
I mean, he's really just internalized how succession works, mm-hmm. as you were saying, and protects a lot of those claims. Part of it is because he's like, well, that's the way things are, and maybe part of it is internally him proving, like, I know the way succession works. I would never... I wouldn't do it because he was just so traumatized by being told that he was going to break it all. Yeah, that's true, too. So he tries to hold, keep the rules intact and play by the rules, even though he's just skirting them a little here with the Night's Watch. And he's probably going to break them anyway. Um... Yeah. Stannis says it makes no matter if he gives the North to anyone, it would likely be to Arnulf Karstark. He calls him a good Northman, and John corrects him and says, a Northman. Burn. Great, I love it. Such a good relore. Burn. <laughs> Fire consumes. This relore. Uh, I love also that he's having like an opinion on a man. A, a mm-hmm. couple books ago, he was like getting drunk the first time, and now he's having opinions <laughs> That's right. of men and their skills. Lord Commander oh. Snow, indeed. Oh, I forgot that we saw John get drunk for the first time. Uh, it was so long ago. We've been doing these chapters for forever. I know it. <laughs> oh, but regarding, you know, a Northman and Arnulf Karsark, my god, Stannis is so fucking lucky that Theon shows up. Oh yeah, absolutely. And seriously, because had, had Theon not showed up and saved the day... Stannis to be over with, and we would have just made fun of him. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, it's not, nothing's stopping us still, but... <laughs> John does think, because, you know, he doesn't know any better right now, that it's better Karstark than Bolton or Greyjoy. Turns out it's better Greyjoy right now. Anyways, it doesn't comfort him, especially since they had all abandoned Rob's cause. Stannis argues, like, well, I mean, he kind of has Stark blood. It's in his name, right? And Arnulf was like a thousand leagues away from all these events. They start to fight very specifically about this, about his strength and his heirs, and John pushes that Moore's crow food is who Stannis needs to focus on. Focus, Stannis. <laughs> John tells him that Manderly banners didn't fly in Melisandre's visions. They still have a chance, and if he only had White Harbor, but they had no word of Lord Davos since he left and may never have reached Lord Manderly. Stannis has no time to grieve or wait, and he must forge on, hoping to win the North through battle. He has this passage that we have to read because it kills me. That requires stealing a leaf from my brother's book. Not that Robert ever <laughs> read one. I must deal my foes a mortal blow before they know that I am on them. John realized that his words were wasted. Stannis would take the dreadfort or die in the attempt. The Night's Watch takes no part, a voice said, but another replied, Stannis fights for the realm, the Iron Men for thralls and plunder. There are no protest votes in war, y'all. Take the dread for to die trying. Oh my god. I just really wanted to say that. Oh my god. (laughs) That's that's all. uh, Thanks for the take. Sometimes sometimes you just have urges. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. John makes a new play, give free folk to the watch, alright, leave them here, and then why don't you, Stannis, go into the mountains to find support from the mountain clans. <laughs> go stay busy. So, yeah, and Stannis is like, but I gave you rattle shirt! <laughs> <laughs> but the language 
image of John here reminds me actually of Daenerys in the Storm of Swords. And it, it shows you very much why these two people would be so drawn to each other because John is thinking like, of course, as we said, of the realm and the danger that the free folk might be to them. But he's also thinking of the free folk's safety. And he's like, oh, they don't really have a part in this war. Right? And he says to Stannis, I want them all. And remembering that in theory, in terms of the way that these chapters would have been structured, mm. it would have come shortly after Storm of Swords in theory. But, you know, there's a whole gap of time and then the chapters got all divided so it actually took like nine years whatever whatever there's poetry to Daenerys saying and thinking a very similar line with the masters and Astapor and how both Danny and John haggle to get them all so Missandei goes all the slave girl sounded very your grace did this one's worthless ears mishear you all Missandei don't say that about yourself Cool green light filtered down, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, your ears heard true, said Danny. I want to buy them all. Tell the good masters, if you will. And then later on, she re reiterates it inside herself. I will have them all, no matter the price, That's she told herself. That's a catch. It, they mirror each other, right? You can Absolutely. see why they would, I was going to say, see themselves in one another, but... <sighs> yeah, foresight. <laughs> Literally. Um, so I, I thought that, was, that was really interesting that he says it like that. You get $2 for me. Two whole dollars. I tip wow, you. Amazing. I tip you for your thoughts. What, one, $1 for John, $1 for Danny. Two bucks of ice and fire. Wow, two stags. <laughs> uh, so he'll have to go to them himself, to the mountain clans. Stannis is going to have to traverse there. They haven't seen a king since Torn Stark bent the knee. So it'll mean a lot if he goes all the way into those mountains. There's Flint, Wool, Nori, Little. John says if he wins over Big Bucket Wool or Old Flint, then they would all flock to him. I think that Stannis is like, Big Bucket? And then he's like, Wool. <laughs> John's like, Wool, yes. We've discussed this before, but this was just as much inspired by Ned as it was by Mance, uh, who went to all of the different free folk tribes to unite them. Uh, especially, you know, with that line of, like, the clans have not seen a king since Torn Stark bent the knee. Your coming does them honor, command, and they will look at one another and say, who is this man? He's no king of mine. And it, it's absolutely similar, right? to the free folk, especially because in many ways their cultures have the same roots. Yeah. They share that. And again, that they have not seen a king in four fucking ever for them. It's been since Torrin Stark, which is like, damn, that was a long ass time ago. Yeah. And for the free folk, probably similarly as long. I, I don't remember which was the last king beyond the wall, but it, they're rare. You can't rule them. You can only lead them. Yes. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. And that goes back to us saying, well, Stannis' leadership skills. <laughs> so Stannis has to pass through Nori lands with guides to get to Big Bucket Wool, which Stannis sounds unhappy about. Tiny, slow-moving goat trails would take him there. He feels like Jon is wasting his time, which kind of sounds like it a little. But Jon says the young dragon conquered Dorne using a goat track to bypass Dornish watchtowers. And of course, John knows what the young dragon did, because as we've discussed in Memories of John, the young dragon is one of his childhood heroes. 
And the best part of this is that, like, Stannis responds exactly how you'd expect. Like, listen here, youngster. And he's like, it was ships that won the war, not goat tracks. <laughs> Oaken fist ships broke Planky Town and swept up the green blood while the main strength was busy in the paths. And he's like, this is my, this is what really happened in the war, kiddo. It's a... Uh, it's funny. They're very, like, stubborn buckheads. Yeah. In my day, we had to climb both ways. Yeah, I had to climb up Davos's little tiny ship to get onions. We, all, we were almost eating people. Take that. And John's probably like, we're going to start eating people. <laughs> Stannis asks, well, okay. Are the Norries going to hinder my passage? And John responds, only with feasts. <laughs> This reminds me of the Dornish right now, because the Dornish have Balin Swan being feasted on the oh. way down to Marcella. Uh, and yes. it almost makes me wonder if John did want this to get Stannis away for a while. Go do something elsewhere, Stannis. Yeah. Huh. I got maybe. there. Yeah, go somewhere else. Go eat someone else's fucking food, not ours. Yeah, absolutely. I think John was definitely looking for a kill switch on the food suckage. <laughs> yeah. Leave your lemons here, though. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And John warns, maybe also while you're doing this, I don't know if Melisandre's going to be welcome. And turns out she's like, I plan to stay at the wall anyways. Yay. <laughs> John's face. The little line emoji, like a line for a mouth. Stares into camera. <laughs> no, he's like, I did not invite you, but okay. When corporate won't leave. Um, he asks John where he should lead his new troops, if not against the Dreadfort. And John says he should fight the Iron Men if Bolton means to, and that he should take Deepwood Mott. John says his host can move unseen there. Stannis rubbed his jaw. When Balin Greyjoy rose the first time, I beat the Iron Men at sea, where they are fiercest. On land, taken unawares, I... I have won a victory over the wildlings and their king beyond the wall. If I can smash the Iron Men as well, the North will know it has a king again. And I will have a thousand wildlings, thought John, and no way to feed even half that number. Oh, man. I, uh, I love that Stannis had to pep talk himself there, like, <laughs> but I'm Stannis. I'm great. I can do this. Yeah, pat, pats himself on the back. This is fine, right? I did this. I did this. Good job, me. I killed the Someone. king beyond the wall. Oh, but he didn't. Like, very much so didn't. Even if I it know. was him, he didn't. Someone has to just tell, like, I wish someone would just be like, Santa's, you did a good job. Maybe that would help him. Because he has to tell himself. Too late. He did a good job. Far too late for that. Yeah. Oh, this whole thing, though, with John thinking, like, all right, shit, now I'm going to have a thousand wildlings and no way to feed him. Another thing that's, like, similar between him and Daenerys especially Daenerys at the ends of book one, yeah. beginning of book two, but also like in the middle of book three when she's like, all right, now I have all these unsullied shit. Yeah. And yeah, her dragons, how am I going to feed them? Yeah. I, I mean, she's left at the end of book one with nothing. She's like, all right, great. I'm going to walk all these people through the red waste. We don't, <laughs> we have nothing. What are we going to do? Guess we'll figure it out. We'll uh, wing it. Uh, yeah. Wait, dragon wing it. Oh, Oh. I'll go. I mean, she's doing a pretty good job winging it. Yeah. The age. Uh, so. Very Daenerys. Lots of parallels in here. And we're seeing more and more 
as their leadership yeah. kind of goes awry. Uh, for sure. Wow. So everything gets more difficult for the both of them. Well, that was John 4. Uh, as we talked about at the top of the episode, we will be putting John 5 out for the public on November 8th. You will have a little bit of a break from us. And we will have his Dark Materials episodes coming out in that time. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Yep. So if you're tired of John chapters, maybe, you know, join the rest of us, right? We're really excited to watch the His Dark Materials television series. Pick up the books. The first one's like a pretty fast read. Yeah, it's like 300, 400 Google Playbook pages. It's easy. Yeah. And like it's written for young adults to be able to read. It's it's pretty it's pretty fast to go through. You can catch up, listen yeah. to the episodes. Absolutely. Watch the series. It's fun. It's all going to be really good. This the series is good. There's there's books coming out. There's side books. They're good. There's there are. Books. That's right. It's ongoing, but yeah. also finished. No shade. No shade. <laughs> I would never. Uh, Anyways, but in the meantime, if in case you forget about when the next John episode's coming out or you want to keep track of when each of these His Dark Materials episodes come out, since we don't necessarily have like the exact dates that they're going to be out, right? Follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter or, you know, shoot us an email on girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to us on a podcast platform, whichever is your favorite. You can likely find us on, but we are featured on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Acast, on Stitcher, on Podbean. Uh, there's a couple other in there. There's tons. On Dancer, on Vixen. Vixen. <laughs> Turns out I actually don't know all the names of the reindeer. Comet. Stannis. Renly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Robert, the red-nosed reindeer, oh. <laughs> had a little much to drink. Stannis never got his sleigh My God. off the ground to give... Never mind. Anyways, so Patreon episodes, of course, we have those for patrons who subscribe $5 and up. This month, though, we are going to do a His Dark Materials episode based around the Golden Compass movie, especially with, you know, the new live action coming out soon. And not a Patreon episode, but again, coming back to those His Dark Materials episodes that we are putting out free for the public to listen to, we do have a special guest that we have met through the Song of Ice and Fire fandom joining us for that. Yes, Tana Ford uh, from Westeros Whenverly is coming on. We're so happy and grateful and just appreciative that she's coming on, but it's going to be a great time. She's an amazing artist. Uh, so she'll be on our episode coming out next. Yes. Northern light slash the golden compass chapter 16 and 17. And then we start part three and we are on our kind of our home run from the end of the book there. We have two more episodes. So three episodes total coming out coming soon. Well, thank you so much for listening, you guys. We will come back here with you for John in November. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Bye, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>